all these really, really smart people coming out of Harvard and Stanford and all these other places, MIT, he said, just because they're really intelligent doesn't mean they have high morals and integrity. And the easiest way for them to get really rich is make some bullshit coin and get a VC to pump it and they make $100 million. Like that's literally the easiest path to a lot of money. So it takes intelligence, but just because they have intelligence doesn't mean they also have integrity and morals. I, I always understood the value proposition of Bitcoin. And I think I've continued to try to understand it even more deeply. Even from day one, I feel like it just clicked. It was like, oh yeah, that's way better than what we have now. Let's do that. And the more and more I read about it, the more I'm convinced I'm, I was right on that initial uh, instinct. Sovereign is much more than a premium energy drink. Crafted with precision and purpose, Sovereign is the perfect blend of physical vitality and financial sovereignty. Infused with premium ingredients like L-tyrosine, L-thionine, vitamin C, vitamin B complex, as well as alpha GPS to orchestrate a symphony of energy-heightened cognitive prowess and calming clarity. And that's not even the best part. With each sip, you're not just recharging yourself, but you're also accumulating Bitcoin. Each can has a hidden QR code that with just three clicks brings you Bitcoin, a minimum of 500 Satoshis and up to 1 million Satoshis with each can. Sip your way to sovereignty with Sovereign Energy. Head to svrnenergy.com and use the code BLOCKWARE for 10% off. Before we get into the episode, I have to tell you about the simplest and best way to start mining Bitcoin, the Blockware Marketplace. Our new streamlined onboarding process means you can literally buy a Bitcoin mining rig and start mining in under 60 seconds. All of the machines available for sale in the marketplace are online right now at one of Blockware's facilities. You don't have to worry about lead times or finding a place to get your machine plugged in. Blockware has already taken care of that for you. You get to mine completely hassle-free. And if at any point you decide that you no longer want to mine, or if the price of ASICs increases and you want to capitalize on the higher value of your machine, you can list your rig for sale at any time and at any price. This platform has completely changed the landscape of hosted Bitcoin mining. And the best part is that this all takes place using Bitcoin and the Lightning Network. Get started today at marketplace.blockwaresolutions.com. This video is sponsored by Stampseed. You plan on holding your Bitcoin for decades, so you need to make sure that your seed phrase is documented in something that can last just as long. Stampseed's signature titanium plates and stamping kits do just that. If you simply write your Bitcoin seed phrase down on a piece of paper, it's vulnerable to fire, water, and all sorts of erosion that can happen over time. Make sure you keep it secure for years to come. Head to stampseed.com and use the code BLOCKWARE15 for 15% off the entire website. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Blockware Podcast. This week we have on four-time NCAA finalist, two-time champion, historic MMA career, Ben Askren. Ben, thanks for joining us. What's up? Excited to be here. Uh, you know, we, we, we grappled at Pacific Bitcoin, and then I, I went and found your Twitter handle, and I realized that you post some content I enjoy, content that I enjoy following. Um, so that's exciting. Excited to do this. Yeah, I appreciate that. I... Uh, <laughs> I made the mistake of shooting in on you, and then my neck was sore for like four days after you sorry. choked me out. I'll put the video up for the audience. Uh, that's funny. I'm sorry. I didn't try to do it that tight. Yeah, no, it's good. <laughs> I, I wasn't going to tap uh, until I absolutely had to. Uh -huh. And also, the, the grip strength is, thing is true. I should have known because I've seen the video of you crushing the watermelons, oh, yeah. and like you grab my wrist. There's like nothing I could do. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Yes, yeah, sir. So you... uh. 
So the two things that have had the biggest impact on my life are wrestling and Bitcoin, and you're a crossover of both of those. You're someone I've wanted to talk to for a long time, and we'll get into Bitcoin probably towards the end of this episode. I want to yeah. start with current events, though. So but Bitcoin's so weekend, exciting right now. We're actually finally coming out of this bear market, starting to look yeah. rosy. I'm so excited. To, well, we can talk about other stuff, but I'm excited to talk about the Bitcoin also. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we're up to 31,000 now. Oh, Last week was insane. We had the fake ETF news pump in a day, and now we've regained everything that was lost yes. from that pump. Wild. There's a lot, lot to be excited about for Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. So I want to talk about UFC 294, though. Um, what were your overall thoughts on this event? And then just the guys stepping in like on very short yeah. notice. Is that something you've had to deal with in the past? And, and what are your thoughts on all that? Um, you know what? I never took a short notice fight. A big part of it was I was the champion for so long in the organizations that I was with, right? I was with um, uh, one championship uh, for three and a half years. I was the champ for three of them. And then I was with Bellator for like four and a half years. And I was the champ for like three and a half of them also. So when you're the champ, it's rare that you get the short notice fights, you know, especially with Bellator, they had to build up to the tournament. Um, you know, I, I did get offered one, but it was after I got knocked out the only time in my career. And I and when you do that, it's a mandatory 45-day suspension. So they asked me to fight. And I'm like, uh, like, I'm suspended. I don't know, <laughs> I don't know if anyone told you that. And they're like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. So um, you know what? I, I didn't love that these guys did that. But at the same time, it's like some of these guys just really enjoy fighting. And that was kind of what Volkanovsky said. He's like, I love fighting. I hate not fighting. I hate not competing. Um but obviously, he rushed himself into this, and it was not the best possible performance by him, I don't know if that makes sense. So, you know, um, sometimes that, sometimes it can play a positive, but sometimes it can kind of be a big negative, and it was for him. Yeah, definitely. I was expecting more of a dogfight, and I guess mm -hmm. not having that, that full camp definitely hurt him a lot. Yeah, just when you're, you know, you cut, you cut a bunch of weight, and then, you know, his timing was probably a little off because he wasn't actually in camp. And, you know, in MMA, it's it's inches, you know, and, you you know, you instead of having your hand here, right, you have it here, and now poof, you take one to the top of the head like he did, and then it's over. Yeah, exactly. Another thing that happened recently is Dylan Danis and Logan Paul. And you, of course, have experienced shit-talking the Paul <laughs> brothers. So would you say Dylan Danis took it too far, dragging Logan's fiance through the mud the way he did? Yeah. Um, well, I, everyone's got their own set of, like, morals, I guess you would say. Um, you know, I always tried to stay away from people's family, people's religions, stuff like that. Like, you know, it's just I don't feel that it's necessary for me to bring those in. Uh, some people have lower standards and, you know, Dennis is, uh, a training partner of Conor McGregor. Conor McGregor, all, you know, obviously brought in Dustin Poirier's wife. He brought in Khabib's religion, you know, so he, he has no boundaries on his trash talk. So I don't know. No, I, did I have higher expectations of, um, did I have higher expectations of Dylan Dennis? And the answer is that's no, not really. Yeah. What do you think of all this? Like these YouTuber influencer boxing matches. Obviously you were a part of one. Yeah. Do you think this kind of stuff is good for combat sports? I know a lot of people are like sticklers yeah. and think it's a bad thing. I think some people are just grumpy. Uh, they just want to hit on everything in life. Um, I don't know if it's good or bad. I kind of see it as like indifferent, like its own thing. And maybe, maybe a positive, the, the maybe would be maybe it's making fighting and boxing cooler for the younger generation. Cause you know, one of the things that the older generation complains about a younger generation being, oh, they're so soft and they're so wimpy. Well, if that were the case, 
then boxing, fighting, wrestling, jujitsu. These type of things are great for them, right? They need to get tougher. Good. So they need to go do some combat sports. It will make you humble, give you some discipline. It'll, it'll do all those positive things for you. So that would be the maybe positive. You know, I have no proof of that statement. Um, and, you know, as far as like the negative of, oh, it's bringing it down. It's like, okay, well, there's already trashy stuff that happens in UFC and boxing can be super trashy also. Um, but I think people see it as its like own thing, you know, its own little carnival or circus. I know I didn't, I didn't really love the circus of it. A bunch of the parts were kind of like, I love competing, you know, but it was like, I had to jump through a whole bunch of hoops and, and, you know, the show night was just, it was just so ridiculous. Yeah. I remember it's like sort of suffering through like four hours of like the thriller, like kind of just trashy previews waiting yes. for you to fight Jake. Yes, Seriously. Yeah, it's uh it's an interesting niche. I definitely I think anything though that gets people interested in combat sports is probably a net positive just because yeah. there's so, like young men are just searching for something like that and it'll really help. On that same vein, like wrestling the mental toughness of it is the biggest thing I took away from that. What did you do specifically throughout your career to really train your psyche and and get mentally prepared for matches and and fights? Yeah. Um, well, I think there's a lot of different parts of the sports psychology. I've been doing this thing called Mental Mondays for uh, feels like forever now. And I actually have a sports psych book coming out. It's like pretty much done. Uh, we got to get a publisher and everything else. But um, so I'm, I'm really into the mental side of it. Um, and, I, you know, I think as far as match preparation uh, or, you know, peak performance is a little different than a lot of other things. Peak performance is in my opinion about, and it's kind of what the book is about, is about balance, right? If you want to perform really well, you're going to kind of let all the thoughts go and just, just roll with it, compete. You know, whatever happens, happens. Where in practice, you're going to need to be like super obsessive with, oh, I made this mistake. I made that mistake. I need to fix this. I need to fix that. And you're going to be like really, really hyper obsessive about all the little details uh, and nuance. And then in a match, like if you're spending too much time worrying or thinking about being perfect, you're probably going to lose a good opportunity to score. So I think those are kind of like opposites of each other. And that, that's kind of a lot of what my book is about is like how a lot of these mindsets are oppositional to each other and how you can use both of them to benefit you. Um, and then, you know, as far as training, I, you know, I think wrestling, you kind of said this, but I think it's great for discipline for kids. Um, you know, and there is some stigma around the weight cutting or making weight. Um, and it, it's not as bad as it was. That's not saying there's not still people cut too much weight. There is for sure. But I mean, if we all look at America, there's a lot more problem with obesity than there is with yeah. people being too skinny. I mean, by, by a factor of, I don't know, 50. And you think about like uh, obesity, all the bad bad things it leads to later in life and how much early mortality there is to do, due to people being really overweight. So, you know, people being really disciplined with what they're eating and what they're putting in their body and watching their weight is... Uh, there may be some negative instances, but there's probably a lot more positive to it than negative. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's interesting what you said there about, you know, in practice, that's really when you want to be thinking a lot and really dialing in. And then yeah. in the match, you just want to let go. I can sort of relate to that with this, this podcast, right? I do a lot of preparation ahead of time, but then like I have this sheet of notes and like mm -hmm. when it's go time, I'm not even looking at that, right? You just, if you're yeah. prepared for anything ahead of time, then when, when you, the time comes to perform, you just, yep. you know, sort of set free from that. I actually, I probably cut too much weight back in high school. Oh, I man. was, yeah, I had a, t I, I even lied to my coaches and my family about how much I was cutting. I was walking around about 
132 and I wrestled 113 and Dang. I could definitely say it negatively hurt my performance. Like my body just started to fall apart at the end of the season, but I don't yeah. think that's typical. I don't think most kids are making that sort of cut. Yeah. What do you, how do you approach? And honestly, honestly, as a coach, as a coach, I don't know. I don't know your coach at all, right? I don't know where you went to high school, but uh, for me, I know I can't, I'm super dialed into all the kids I coach. So if I see one of them at practice and I can tell when they're cutting too much weight. It's like, wait, 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 what are you doing here? You look like shit. Like you're not, you know, and so then we talk about it. And sometimes, you know, kids do stupid things like they don't eat enough, right? Uh, or they start weight cutting way too early. Or they are just wrestling, plain and simple, the wrong weight class. You know, so it's mm -hmm. like a coach who's really dialed into his athletes is going to be able to see. You wouldn't have been able to lie to me. I would be like, dude, you look <laughs> like shit. I know you don't really weigh whatever you're lying about. It's definitely more. And. You know, we would have tried to come up with a solution to make it better. Yeah, that that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. I think I think a problem for a lot of high schoolers too is you don't have this like nutrition. You don't don't have nutritionists yes. around, right? I was cutting mm -hmm. weight in just the absolute wrong way, just like eating yeah. nothing. There's nobody to guide you. You you mm -hmm. just hear from like an older guy. Oh, he did it this way. You know, he ate just yeah. like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And yeah, that's so. why I think the coach has to be involved. All or a good coach, I think, is involved in that also and educating their guys on, you know, what probably is the best weight class, what are the best practices. Um, you know, like for high school kids, I think the worst one, these idiots, they, they just don't eat for like a day and a half. And it's like, dude, that is so dumb. And it's like, you need to still eat, you need to have energy, and then you need to work out a little bit. Like go, go for a run, you know, or wrestle for a little extra, or do these things. And so generally you can eat all your meals, maybe a little smaller than normal, right? But you can eat them all mm -hmm. and then just you work out at the end. It's pretty simple. So yeah. it's kind of like, yeah, we definitely go over that. Uh, you know, not with the younger kids because we don't, we don't want them really doing anything uh, or mm -hmm. almost nothing. But with the older kids, we, you know, we got to, got to get the practices right. Yeah, for sure. I was the idiot who would not eat for like <laughs> two days before a match. Oh man, that's the worst. Yeah, it's brutal. Um, So with... Do you, what are your thoughts on like general diet then? Are you a fan of like carnivore diet, eating seed oil free? What's your thoughts? There? Yeah, I'm not super picky. I, I, you know what? After my hip surgery, well, I'll just tell you the whole progression. I competed uh, at a high level from probably like age 14-ish is when I really got really serious. Uh, and I retired for the first time in 2017, so I was 33. So I competed really, really high level without any serious breaks for 19 years straight. I mean, there was no maybe a couple months off, but like there was never where I didn't compete for a year. Like that just didn't happen. So, um, when I retired the first time in 2017, I said, you know, I'm, I'm not going to get on a scale and for a long time. And so nine months later, uh, I got on a scale and I said, you know what? I don't want to be really fat. And I, you know, like I was kind of got fat cause I was just doing whatever I wanted. And I said, I'm not gonna be fat anymore. I said, I'm going to wrestle in a tournament, uh, mid uh, Midlands is a Christmas tournament, right? Russell, just so I, have, uh, so I have a weight to make, so I have something to be disciplined about, okay? So I started dieting uh, and you know working out more regularly, and uh, then that was when I got the call from the UFC about, oh, you know, you're being traded, and right? So it was good because my weight, my weight was already coming down a little bit. Um, that probably happened a month after I started kind of like working out more. Um, so I got traded to the UFC, so then I competed for an, another year, essentially. Um, so then it was like, you know, kind of 21 years straight, if you will, maybe with a few months off mm -hmm. there in that first retirement. So then I retired for the second time and I was actually gonna get my hip done and then it got pushed back because Corona, because remember Corona, everything was closed from like 
the March to June of 2021. So I ended up getting my hip surgery in, in September of 2021. So there's another one where like, okay, I'm not gonna worry about anything. And then when I got my hip surgery, I couldn't, they literally like, you can't do anything. Like you, mm -hmm. I could start riding a bike at like three months. And it was like, you had to ride it like really, really light and blah, blah, blah. Um, so I got really fat. And then it was, I got the, the, the boxing match. But then it was like, okay, well, I'm probably retired for good. So either I'm gonna be fat for the rest of my life or I'm gonna be disciplined and I'm gonna, you know, stay in shape and I'm gonna work out regularly. And I just thought that was so much a better course of action for a, you know, for a disciplined individual to do that. And so uh, I don't have any super strict diets. I, I, I eat a lot more beef than I used to, a lot less carbs. I don't, I stopped eating dessert eight months ago. That's been really beneficial for me. Uh, but no, nothing, nothing super, super specific. Yeah. Was it hard to stop eating dessert? You know what? I love dessert and I thought it was going to be really hard and it wasn't that hard. I just stopped. Yeah. And then, you know what? I thought I like, I thought I would like miss it a lot. And like, I don't really miss it that much. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've kept it desserts like exclusive to the weekend, but maybe uh, I, I don't even so that's know. That's what that. my it's wife, sort of my like wife a... said I should do, you know, weekends or vacations or something. And I'm like, ah, oh, like I don't miss it that much. So I'll just, keep not eating yeah i mean yeah. if it isn't broken don't fix it yeah how do you approach training kids right because mm -hmm. you want to start you want wrestling to be fun you want them to fall in love mm -hmm. with it but at some point probably around high school yeah. you want them to take it more serious like i want to be a yeah. state champ on a wrestling college mm -hmm. so what's that transition like and when do you really start pushing yeah. these kids out of their comfort zone well it's, it's all on them so yeah we started at five um, you know, obviously not everyone starts with us at five. Some of them kind of come over at, you know, so, you know, what our thing is usually once they come over, they don't leave. Right. So if they started at their local club or they started a different club and then they find us, once they find us, they just, they're, they're not going anywhere else. Right. They really enjoy being at Ashland Wrestling Academy and we have them kind of forever. So yeah, probably middle school is when we encourage them to get more serious, but I, th I, I really think it's like, it's gotta be on them. Like it's on them. They either want to do it or they don't. And if they want to do it, we have the tools. I mean, we saw, I was telling you this morning, we had Keegan O'Toole has made the world finals again. So he won a world title in 2021. He's in the world finals. We had another guy win a world U20 world championship uh, two months ago. We just had a kid win the Super 32, which is like one of the biggest folk style tournaments. So we have, we have people succeeding at the highest levels. And all of it is like, we are your resource if you want to be really, really good. So they're going to decide it. And then once they decide it, we're there to provide all the resources they need to be as good as they want to be. But I'm not big on forcing kids to do anything. Yeah. What, when, like, can you tell from a young age who's going to have that killer mentality? Um, every once in a while I'll see it and I'll be, you know, and I'll think, okay, I think someday they're going to be pretty good. But, um, there's been a lot of kids that surprised me. And then I'm also open to who, to the kids who aren't good being good if they want to be right. And we've had a lot of kids who weren't even any good all the way up to like eighth grade, you know, and then they go compete at the division level. So, I mean, they mm -hmm. go from being a, you know, not good wrestler, even kind of like locally or statewide to a guy who's, who's competing at the divisional level. And, um, so yeah, once kids really decide they want to do it, they can make huge jumps. Yeah, I've seen the same thing. One uh, one of my teammates in high school, he he started off like the, probably the least athletic kid, the last one you would expect to be successful, and then he went on to have a really great career at a, at a D2 or D3 school nice. just purely off of hard work. 
Yeah. Wrestling's very egalitarian like that, where it's, um, if you do the right things, anyone can have success. You know, and I point to someone like Anthony Robles, who, uh, you know, he was at air. I can't really say I coached him cause he had one leg and I don't know what it's like to have one leg. He kind of like created some of the things himself, maybe with the help of some of the other assistant coaches. Um, mm-hmm. But it's like, how many other sports could that happen where a guy with one leg reaches the highest levels of the sport? And it's like, yeah. you can't. But wrestling is one of those things where it's like, doesn't matter if you're tall or you're short. Uh, you know, you got short arms, you got one leg. Like, if you really, really want to be that good at it, you can do it. Yeah, 1,000%. That's why I got into it. I was yeah. tiny. I was going to the high school. I was 80 pounds and like less than five foot tall. So there went my <laughs> football and baseball aspirations. That's why I love wrestling. It's funny you say that. I actually had a coach with one leg too, and uh, really? couldn't practice couldn't practice doubles on him. Had to uh, uh, just, like, <laughs> collar ties and stuff. Uh, yes, sir. So uh, you have a son. How are you thinking about getting him into wrestling? Because you don't obviously you don't yeah. want to like force all, all my on kids him, wrestle. Sure you want him to. Okay. Yeah. So um, um, yeah, all my kids wrestle. So my daughters are. Oh, well, hold on, my daughters. My daughters are eight and 10. Um, so we start at five years old. And uh, the thing is, like, we say they're going to play all the sports, right? So it's gymnastics, soccer, uh, Aussies play T ball, right? Uh, the girls have done, you know, some basketball camps and stuff like that. So it's, um, they're going to do all the sports. And then when they get older, they can choose what they want to do. And so that the age is 10. And so like my oldest daughter's 10, she's just choosing to do all of it. She, she really, really enjoys wrestling. Um, I would imagine she's going to continue doing wrestling for quite a while. Um, my, my second one, she's eight. Uh, she doesn't like it quite as much. She's like, when I get to 10, I'm going to be done wrestling. It's like, okay, cool. Um, you got to make it till 10. And then, um, the other thing about that is is they have to compete some because I love the idea of wrestling is it's you and it's only you. And this is what this is what I loved about it. And I think it's just a necessity for people to understand in life. It's you and it's just you. And that's it. Uh, you're going to go out on the mat. You're going to compete with someone else. And it, all the things are based upon your you, you know. Um, and I feel like everyone needs to have that experience. And that, that you know, that's an experience that a fight can give you also. Um, but that one-on-one experience of this is on me, I can do this. Um, so she's going to compete a few times this year. Uh, and then Ozzy, he really enjoys, he's five. He really enjoys it at this point. Um, so yeah, so I'm assuming Mm -hmm. he'll keep enjoying it. I would think. Yeah. It's, that's what I love about wrestling too. It's all on you. It's, it's personal responsibility. There's no excuses. You can't blame your teammate. You can't really blame the referee. It's like, if you mess up. You just you didn't train hard enough, or you weren't ready for the match. At yes. at that age, are the girls wrestling the boys, or is it just? Like- um, at age ten, there's some there's some of both. There's some all girl stuff, but there's some girl and boys. So there's just not a ton of girls that wrestle. I, I wish there were more. There's we're trying hard to build it, but um, there's just something about the combative martial arts that boys seem to enjoy more than the girls. Um, yeah, so there's some, but not a lot. Yeah, for sure. What would you say is harder, MMA or wrestling? Because I've gone back and forth on this with some of my friends. The, the season, the grind of wrestling, you're having to make weight so much. Like I could definitely see an argument for that. But then MMA, you're also like the risk's higher. You get your face bashed in. So what would you say? Well, uh, I mean, one of the things I always think about um, is that, you know, it's like how many, 
how many people do you need to beat out to succeed at something? Right. And so it's like MMA. I always thought from a skill perspective was a little bit easier because there just aren't as many people doing it. Right. I mean, how many youth kids, you know, that are doing mixed martial arts, the answer is like not very many, how many adults, you know, they're doing it. Eh, not very many. Right. And so that just the, 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 the pool of skilled athletes is a lot smaller versus wrestling. There's in just America, there's like a million people who are participating in wrestling. And so when you talk about that many people, uh, you know, the cream rises to the top and you're going to have to be better than a lot of other people. So I think, I think the path to the top in MMA is maybe a little easier and a little shorter. Uh, will that change at some point? You know, obviously there is now more money in, oh, by a lot in, in MMA than wrestling. So is that going to motivate a whole bunch of more athletes to try to take that path? I think it's possible, but then also it's like, it's not like basketball or football or something like that. Like it's just a little kind of, it's kind of a little different type of person who wants to get punched in the head for a living. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A lot of that, that makes sense. <laughs> what would you do to grow both of those sports? Right. Because I find that like, I love wrestling, but it's still a pretty small community. And like the only people who are really interested in it are former wrestlers or like family of wrestlers. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, I think it's growing immensely. Um, you know, Flow Wrestling became like a really good live streaming platform probably about a decade ago. Um, mm -hmm. And I see the Big Ten Network has a ton of matches on. Um, and so, you know, as a spectator, you can watch a lot of really good high level wrestling. Um, so I think wrestling is getting more popular uh, to grow at the highest levels. I think probably a, some type of professional avenue would be really big and important. And for a variety of reasons, that's not happening. Um, for MMA, uh, I just. I think from a popularity standpoint, people watching it, I think it's very popular. Mm -hmm. I think it's like, it's kind of exploded probably since the pandemic, you know, in the last two yeah. or three years, even it's really like even spiked more. Like it was getting more popular into that era. And then it, like, it kind of hit another one. And I think that's because fighting is so easy because you don't really need to know the rules. Like, dude, I, I watch football now. I forgot the rules. Like, I don't really know all the rules. You know, I used to watch it a lot. I don't anymore. So, you know, I sat down at my mom's house and the game was on and I was like, oh, I forgot that. Or I forgot, you know, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, with fighting, it's like, ever, since we were kids, someone fights on the playground, you kind of know who wins, right? Yeah. Most of the time, it's pretty evident. So you don't really need to understand the rule set all that much to understand who is winning. Um, but on a participation level, like I said, it takes someone who's a little bit different to want to yeah. get punched in the head for a living. So I don't, I don't know that participation is ever going to go up that much in fighting, but I think from a spectator standpoint, it's very popular. Yeah, for sure. I mean, in, in 2020 COVID is like the only sport to watch. Everything else was not on, but Dana White's like, all right, we're going to go to this island in Abu yeah. Dhabi and we're going to have fights. It was awesome. Well, their first one was actually in Jacksonville, if you remember it. Oh, Okay. I yeah, they went to that. Jackson. They went to Jacksonville first. Uh, the the mayor or something, you know, is uh, DeSantis was the governor, and then the mayor, they they made it happen. I, I don't recall exactly what it was. They did, they did, I think, three weeks in Jacksonville, and then they did Fight Island in Abu Dhabi, and yeah, they made it happen. Yeah, for sure. One point I want to talk about is NIL. How do you? think that's going to affect college wrestling long-term and with your high school guys, is this a conversation you're having during the recruiting process? Not really. And we, we've had some of the very, very, very best kids come through. Um, and I haven't seen too much talk about NIL. I think it's more likely, um, it's happening on a much greater extent in other sports, you know, basketball, football, etc. 
Yeah, definitely. So this is where we could probably start transitioning into Bitcoin yeah, because that was yeah that was about money. So this is a good, you to good teach segue. Yeah. All right. I can uh, I can share my insights. So okay. first, I want to hear how you got into Bitcoin. I I believe you came from like the rant, um, the Ron Paul sort of libertarian yep. point of view. What caused you to realize that the monetary system we have now is broken? Uh, yeah. So I guess uh, I guess you call me a conspiracy theorist. Although at this point, like they're just conspiracy theorists are kind of just right too much. Uh, it's like hard yeah. to call them conspiracies <laughs> anymore. It's just like maybe an alternate perspective on that. You know, mainstream media—they're wrong all the time. So. Um, yeah, so I don't I don't really recall when I got into reading Ron Paul and really following. I know I voted for him in 2012, I think it was, maybe 2008, 2008, 12. Yeah, I mean, a long time ago, right? Um, and so, you know, I read End the Fed, and that was like, okay, I so I understand why the monetary system in America is unfair, and it's probably more unfair in other countries than it is in America. Um, so I understood that, and then actually a friend who I pushed down the rabbit hole, um came up a whole bunch of years later. I was actually at a fight in Shanghai. He at the time lives in Australia. Um, and so he would come to my fights when I was fighting in Asia. And he's like, hey, I got to tell you about this thing, Bitcoin. And he goes on and I'm like, oh, that's awesome. Well, let me buy some. You know, how, do, how do I buy some? You know? And so he started showing me how to buy. And you know, I started buying at that point. And that was, my fight was September 2nd. So it was probably you know August 28th of 2017, somewhere in there where I started buying Bitcoin and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, so I kind of got in and then, you know, I got a fun three month run up and then we got the bear market for, you know, two years ish or whatever. Um, but I, I, I always understood the value proposition of Bitcoin. And I think I've continued to try to understand it even more deeply than, um, than I did then. So it's like, I don't know, even from day one, I feel like it just clicked. It was like, Oh Yeah. That's way better than what we have now. Let's do that. And the more and more I read about it, the more I'm convinced I'm, I was right on that initial uh, instinct. Yeah, I sort of had it the same way. Like once you figure it out, it's like there's no going back, right? The more you learn <laughs> yeah. about it, the more convinced you become. I literally yeah. spend every day trying to think like, what am I missing? Why am I wrong about Bitcoin? And there's nothing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you're right. I think uh, conspiracy theories, you just can throw out the theory part because it's they're just conspiracies that happen. Right. Like the Fed, yeah. the Federal Reserve was literally created to keep the bankers wealthy and to extract yeah. wealth via inflation. It's yeah. not even a theory. It's just it's just fact. So throughout this bear market, what have you have you taken a certain strategy? Or are you are you doubling down? Like, no, on you know what? I haven't actually been able to buy that much more because I was a dumbass because you know what? I knew it. I knew it. And I said it so many times. Quarter four, 2021 is going to be the top. And my strategy was going to be, uh, and I told, you know, I did this podcast with John Kim. And at the very end, this guy, Jason Williams, Going Parabolic, joined us. Yeah, he's and a buddy he, of mine. He always said, never sell. You know, he would say, reverse mortgage your house, all this wild shit. And I would always say, we got in this argument multiple times. It's like, okay, if someone bought Bitcoin, right in the last cycle if they bought it at 10 and it's now at 70 and it's going to change their life i'm not telling them to cash out 100 percent. i don't know cash out 30 percent, right cash out 30 percent. pay 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 down your house or something and then maybe when bitcoin goes down because it probably inevitably will buy some more and so it's like that was gonna be my strategy i was gonna sell in the quarter four of 2021 and it got the 69 i just didn't think that was the top 
and it started going down. I'm like, okay, you know, there was the extended cycle theory, and there was all. I'm like, surely it's gonna go back up. Like, you know, <laughs> there's no way 69 is the top. And then I, you know, I just kept holding, and actually, I bought a commercial property in at the end of December of 2021, and I did the um, the what Michael Saylor recommends, like the lend against your Bitcoin type thing. Mm. Um, uh, not lend, sorry, borrow against your Bitcoin. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I did that to buy the building because I didn't want to sell any Bitcoin, and then it just kept freaking going down. <laughs> and so, uh, you know what? I ended up holding, and I didn't have too much extra cash to keep buying all that much more. You know, I would have obviously yeah. liked to sell sell a few at 70 and then you know you can buy you know three or four back when it's at 16. yeah well you didn't get liquidated on your your loan did you i never got liquidated no because I, I was way over collateralized i didn't yeah. need that much money i wasn't aggressive so i do kind of feel like a dummy though because you know if i would have uh, i think i think at the time when i took the loan it was like 45 or so, something per bitcoin mm-hmm. um so if i would have just sold at that point right and and then bought you know used what i needed to make the down payment for the commercial building that we're in and then um from that point you know buy a little bit when it goes down you know the the problem is you never can predict when the bottom is right is it 16 was it 22 what you know what was it you know you don't know until it actually gets there and then and then likely you're well past it by the time you realize oh that was actually the bottom yeah you know so uh you know if i would have sold some and then bought it but hopefully i'll just keep holding the bitcoin and paying for the loan and then you know in say quarter three of 2025 i'll be up by many multiples or something (laughs) yeah it sounds like the market psychology got you on both ways you didn't expect it to be the top or the bottom it's it's crazy how it always works like that and i definitely i would agree with jason don't sell your bitcoin man because the way i think about it is well, wait, hold yes. on, hold on. In the example I just gave you, why shouldn't I have sold? Give me one good reason why I shouldn't have sold, say, 30% of what I had in Because you're four. coming at it with hindsight right now. In the moment, you know, well, the bull market could have kept going. Okay, but so, but at some point it was going to go back down, right? Cycle theory is like, okay, we've been through three of them. It's it's And so last time was actually the smallest crash, and I think, I think it was like 74% or something. Yeah, yeah. But was also, the, the way I would... I would throw back at you is at some point, I don't think we come back down, right? If we get a lot sure. of these institutions to come in, ape in, you know, if BlackRock and Fidelity and all these have their clients just starting one 5% position, yeah. we're going to go way, way up. And at that point, I don't think we get these massive bear markets. And that very well could have been the case in 2021. Obviously, it didn't turn yeah. out to be the case. But at some point, we do hit this escape velocity. You would never, like if you're, let's say you're in Lebanon and you're holding dollars yeah, to hedge oh, against yeah. their inflation. You wouldn't sell your dollars at a profit and cash out to, for liras, right? Correct. Yeah. So I mean, obviously, being a different country and a different currency, I say yeah for sure. But you know, so okay, let's imagine in quarter four, twenty twenty one, I sell twenty five percent, and it just keeps going up because that could happen this time, right? It's say mm-hmm. quarter, you know, right? At some point, I at some point, I do agree, the cycle theory will end. But you know, like. I, I gotta imagine well, we hit a seventy-six percent drawdown. If next one's only fifty, that's way less, right? We're mm-hmm. we're gonna have some type of drawdown next time. Is it gonna be forty? Is it gonna be fifty? Is it gonna be sixty? I don't know. But it, it, there's no way we don't have a drawdown because now the other thing at this point in time is like a bunch of smart people like you and I are saying, well, we're at the top of the cycle. We're eighteen months past the having, and I'm gonna sell some because I bet we're damn near the top, right? There's be a whole bunch of people who do that. And then maybe there's a bunch of institutional holders and it only goes down 46%. 
right? Uh, listen, I'm not getting out of Bitcoin. I'll probably buy some more. Mm -hmm. But I, I think it's a good trade. Potentially. I would just never <laughs> self. I would, one, never get rid of my whole stack. No, two, no, I didn't say that. I, I didn't say that. Don't yeah, I, I know you mouth. didn't. I know you didn't. Okay. I, I know. But two, I wouldn't sell for dollars, right? I would guess I would do it like you did and maybe get rid of some of it for a different asset or to buy goods and services, right? Like yeah. selling your Bitcoin to just hold dollars and put the fiat in the bank account is counterintuitive yeah. to me. Well, so for, okay, but so for a lot of people, um, this, is, this is why I would argue with Jason. Jason was rich. He's, he was a little detached from reality. Um, so I'd say two things. Well, number one, right now the Bitcoin loan, it's expensive. I pay, I pay for it every month, right? It's, it's not cheap. <laughs> and I have a very high level of conviction that it is going to go back up, which is why I'm holding it and paying for the loan. I think at some point, those price points will probably go down quite a bit because people will realize Bitcoin is the best collateral on planet Earth. Mm -hmm. So I think that'll go down, which makes you know just loaning it out even a better idea than previous. Um, but then I, th I think the other thing is like, okay, for someone who is middle class, you know, if, if they can pay off a decent chunk of their house, and I know you're, some people will say, oh, it's only 3% or 4% or whatever, right? But it, and they can take away that expense from their life. Like there's some type of peace of mind that comes with that of like, oh, I've been paying off my house for 20 years and I had 10 years left to pay. And because I was able to invest in Bitcoin and be smart and sell at the top, well, now I don't have to make a house payment for the next 10 years. Like that's so, and this is the argument I make with Jason, that's so impactful for some people, you know? And so that's kind of where, that's the angle I would take on it. And, but yeah, listen, yes, I think Bitcoin is the best asset. Um, but I think for some people to have a little peace of mind and pass them in their house or something, I think it's probably a really good idea. Yeah. I, I understand where you're coming from with that. Yeah. And I, but I, the key thing about real estate is I think Bitcoin demonetizes it, right? You, a lot yeah. of the demand for real estate is because we have a crappy money that doesn't hold its value. So people need something to put their value into right now and historically over the last few decades yeah. that's been real estate and the stock market but now that we have bitcoin as this superior by all all measurements right it's more scarce yeah. than real estate it's more divisible fungible portable etc a lot of that those savings are going to go into bitcoin and real estate's not going to have this monetary premium it's just going to be demand from people actually wanting it as shelter yeah. so i think bitcoin always forever will appreciate against real estate and, and other it. hard assets. <laughs> You're so hardcore. Um, I, I, listen, I don't, I, listen, I don't disagree with you, but I think, I think again, this is the same argument I have with Jason Williams, you know, talk about a 64 year old person and they're two, two years away from retirement and their main living expense is their housing payment. Mm -hmm. And now they get to pay it off 10 years early. Like, I don't, there's something to be said for that. So yes, I agree. Bitcoin, better investment. And my wife actually was trying to buy rental properties. And I was like, nah, why would we do that? When we can buy Bitcoin. That's dumb. You know? So like, I'm, I'm on the same page as you, but I think there's something to be said for selling a little bit at the top. And yeah. I will next time. I'm not going to mess up. I'm going to buy, uh, so I'm going to sell some at the top. You know what else I'm going to do next time? Cause you put this in the dock. Yeah. I, I'm going to do some shit coin in. Okay. Oh, no, no dude, hold on. No. Hold on. I'm going to tell you exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell I'm just going to be honest with you. I have, I'm, I'm all with you. Bitcoin's the best. Bitcoin's number one. I love it. Okay. I'm all the way down the rabbit hole. Um, but I think there's no way, there's no way in the next cycle that you can buy some shit coins and they're going to go up at a higher level and you just got to sell or right? this is where people get greedy. Um, and, and especially I didn't really do any, 
I bought like one or two other things last cycle, and I and I and I did sell them at a significant gain because um, I wasn't in a terms dummy. of Bitcoin or in terms of dollars. Oh, that's a great question. Um, well, no, it was more because like Cardano, I bought Cardano and it went up. It went from eight cents to, and I didn't sell it quite at the top, but pretty close. It went from eight cents to two fifty, I think, something like that. And Bitcoin in the last cycle went from three bot three ish on the bottom to sixty nine at the top. So that's a you know twenty three x versus like almost a forty x. And then I bought Ethereum at it was right after the crash, right? Uh, so you're talking March twenty twenty. I think I bought Ethereum at one sixty, and Ethereum went to. And I did, I sold, I did sell some Ethereum, like right at the top, like picture perfect timing, uh, like 4,400 or so, something to that effect, you know? So that was like almost a 30 X also. Um, so yeah, I know. I, so, so yes, in Bitcoin terms, I made money in dollar terms. I made a lot of money. Um, they, yeah, listen, it's, it's the bull market. All these shit coins are going to go up and likely at a higher multiple than Bitcoin. No, that's where yeah. I disagree, man. Okay, hold on. The, All right, let's get into it. I'll just tell you, in, 20, in 2017, I was a fool. I bought a bunch of them. My buddy who got me into Bitcoin also was into a bunch of shit coins. And a bunch of them went up by a huge multiple. And I didn't sell. And they a lot of them went to zero. And so mm -hmm. that was the last cycle. I'm like, okay, I know I don't want to sell Bitcoin, but I know I have to sell these other things because they are going to go down by an insane factor, more than Bitcoin. So I'm going to sell them. And I sold them with proper timing, and I anticipate doing the same thing this time. But see, this next bull market though, <laughs> that last it was re, it was retail stimulus like yep. degenerate Wall, Wall Street and that degenerate SBF, SBF freaking yeah. selling Bitcoin. Yeah, that's what ruined our hundred K. That that it degenerate is. him and freaking CZ was probably doing the same thing. I'm guessing. But here's the thing. Here's what's coming in 2024 is this spot Bitcoin ETF. It's not an ETH yes. ETF. It's not a Cardano yeah. ETF. Yeah, Wall Street's it. buying Bitcoin. Crypto's getting regulated, right? Guess, uh, the SEC is going after Coinbase. They're going after Binance. All these shit coins in terms of they, Bitcoin but are going to But the SEC, down. they're toothless. They, can't, they, can't, they couldn't beat Ripple. If they can't beat Ripple, yeah. they can't beat anybody. They're, they are it's, winning zero lawsuits. They're, they suck. It's true, but Wall, Wall Street still, they don't want the shitcoins. They want to buy Bitcoin. So I think uh, this idea that shitcoins will outperform Bitcoin in the next bull market, I don't think that's going to be the case. Okay. They'll go up in dollar terms, but I don't think they'll go up in Bitcoin terms. All right, Mitchell, here's the thing. If Bitcoin goes to the moon, I'm super rich. So we're cool. Yeah. Uh, like yeah. I'm perfectly happy. And so mm -hmm. I'm going yeah, I'm to I'm gamble on some of those shitcoins. I'm not going to say, I'm not going to tell anyone what I'm buying. I'm just going to buy a little bit of this and that. You know, and have some fun because I like it. Who doesn't like gambling? We all like gambling, right? And, yeah, you know, I will have bit. my stack will still be 80 to 90 percent Bitcoin. And I still think it's the best. And I'm not going to promote anything else like I haven't in the past. People say I should coin. Litecoin is Bitcoin light, right? It's, it's, it's literally the same protocol. I know people don't love Litecoin. Besides <laughs> Litecoin, I haven't really pushed anything else zero other things. a litecoin is a commodity in the same way that manure is a commodity right you, you don't want to store value in manure but it is a commodity technically mm, yeah i suppose if you I, I think so you know what litecoin's chance uh litecoin's chance was that the sec was actually successful in suing a lot of those other other cryptos you know, it made them securities because mm -hmm. if all this other stuff became a security, you know, Cardano, Ethereum, et cetera, et cetera, if they all became securities, then the money would flow into only one, right? Two places. It would be Bitcoin and Litecoin because that would be the only other one. 
Um, but since SEC can't do anything, they can't get anything done because they suck. Um, yeah, I don't know. We'll see, we'll see where Lycon goes. But yeah, that that would be the only thing else. But that would be from a sound money protocol. It it literally is the same code as Bitcoin with uh, you know two point five yeah, minutes instead of ten. I would. I would say it's a winner take all, but we can have that That's conversation fair. for another That's day fair. because I know uh, I know we've got about five more got, minutes. Yeah, five more minutes. So, my last two questions. First, I've been listening a lot to Wait, Michael. Wait, are you saying you never bought a shit coin? No, I'm not saying that. But ah, you busted. Further, no, <laughs> I well, I got in into Bitcoin in late 2020, and uh-huh. I I shit coined for a couple months. I got lucky. I I became a maxi at the shit coin top. So like the few things I did buy, I made out in Bitcoin terms. But I'm going to say, if you will, if you want to gamble, mining stocks are better than shit coins because they're they're not going to get regulated into nothingness, and they they have that correlation with yeah Bitcoin mining stocks, and they're correlated to Bitcoin, and they're probably going to have a higher beta. But I'd still say just buy Bitcoin. But mining stocks, I do have a small percentage of my portfolio in mining stocks because they might outperform Bitcoin. So my last two questions: one is. uh, I've been listening a lot to Michael Saylor and his mm-hmm. 10 rules for life. I've been incorporating them. So what advice would you give to young people, specifically young men? Oh man, Michael Saylor's 10 rules for life. That's uh, those are good ones. Now, um, I probably should have thought about this more, uh, when I, uh, when I saw the doc, cause I did, I did this on the doc. Um, Hmm. I, I don't know. What would tell Cause I feel this is something very profound and I should spend some time on it. Um, I would say high, have a high set of morals and ethics, and that's that is something. You know, actually, my buddy John Kim, morals and ethics are something that are in very low supply within the crypto community. And John Kim made this argument to me last time. He said all these, all these really really smart people coming out of Harvard and Stanford and all these other places, MIT. He said just because they're really intelligent doesn't mean they have high morals and integrity. And the easiest way for them to get really rich is make some bullshit coin and get a VC to pump it, and they make $100 million. Like, that's literally the easiest path to a lot of money. So, so it takes intelligence, but just because they have intelligence doesn't mean they also have integrity and morals. So I, I think that's a huge one, because I think if you don't live if you don't live with those things, and people can, they can deny this and, and lie on this, because I, I cannot prove this, but if, because there's a few probably, may, I would say, like bad decisions or decisions that I regret, and I, and I probably went to those people and apologized to them, but when you do things um, which you know are wrong, you feel them inside you forever. You know, like you're like, damn, I shouldn't. Have. Even if it was something stupid, like you said something to someone that you probably shouldn't have said. Like if you don't go back and say, hey, man, I didn't really mean that, or I really said something and I, I, I probably shouldn't have, and that was dumb. Um, you feel that. So unless you can live your life with morals and integrity, um, you're gonna really have kind of like a hole inside you for a while. And then the other one would I'd say was like find something you're really, really passionate about, especially when you're young. And if you can get really, really good at it, you can make a living doing it. And that's, you know, I think a lot of, uh, you know, I, I don't know your exact path, but, uh, you know, like I think of Will Clemente or Dylan LeClaire, like, you know, they kind of like made their own way into um, the positions that they're in. Like there was no clear path there. And, mm-hmm. you know, like with the wrestling academies, me and Max are my brother, Max is my brother. Um, you know, we're doing it differently than anyone's ever done it before. And it's like, well, this is our passion. This is what we want to do. And we're going to put a lot of time and effort into it. And we got really good at it. And we're able to do something that no one's done before. Yeah, that's a, that was really well said and quite profound. 
I appreciate it, Ben. My last question I ask this to everyone. What does Bitcoin mean to you? Hmm. Um, I think the biggest one would probably be freedom, right? Uh, and I think that's something a lot of Bitcoiners believe in. Um, and I don't know, you know, I, whether you're reading the sovereign individual or the fourth turning, like, I, I don't know what the future holds. I don't know that we're going to stay in the same nation state model that we have now forever. Like throughout my lifetime, I feel like there's going to be something different happening. And I think like a lot of people are becoming more and more awake to, how we're being misled by mainstream media or how the monetary mm. policy is not fair, um, especially once we get some hyperinflation, they're, they're really going to realize that. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's freedom. I think it's, you know, you, and I, mean, I, I guess going with freedom would be, and I think some, someone has some saying about this, but we responsibility, right? Um, because when you take the time to own Bitcoin and hold Bitcoin, you know, in cold storage, I, I do multi-sig, um, you know, you have the freedom, like no one could take it from you. It's mine. I know where my wallets are and no one else knows where they are. And no one has access to my money, not the government, not anybody else. But obviously I also have to have the, and this is where a lot, a lot of people are struggling because a lot of people don't have enough responsibility in their life. A lot of people are struggling because they're like, I am not responsible enough to hold my own money. Think about that. I am not mm -hmm. responsible enough to hold my own money. There's so many people who are scared shitless of holding you know, even a small amount of money on a Trezor or, you know, yeah. whatever. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Bitcoin's freedom. And with that freedom comes responsibility. Really appreciate you taking the time to do this, Ben. Yeah, do you have anything you fun. want to plug or want to send the audience to before you leave? No, I'm, I'm excited for the next bull market. I believe it's kicking off here. I, you know, I, I think we probably go somewhat sideways until the halving and then probably start moving up. Um, I think we'll probably get a little bit of a move up when the ETF happens. Which I think I think it's. If I was a betting man, and you, I just told you I like to gamble a little bit, I would bet on it happening before the halving. Um, yeah. I think that's pretty likely. I think we'll get a little bit of bump. And so my guess going into the next halving is somewhere between 40 and 50. But you know when you get to be a really good Bitcoiner is when you stop looking at the price. Because when it was shitty, yeah. I just, for months, I just, I'm like, I'm not going to look at it. I'm, not, I'm holding it. I'm not going to sell it. Uh, I'm just not going to look at the price anymore. So, but my guess would be 40 to 50 in the next halving. And then we just start a really strong move up to your point. I, I like your point about so much money flowing into ETFs and everything. Um, but obviously each cycle. So cycle last time was like bottom to top was like 20 to 23 X. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know. I kind of feel like this one's a little bit less, you know, so maybe like a 15 to 18. So maybe 200 something on the top. But maybe, maybe we would have got more last time if that idiot SBF wasn't selling Bitcoin to buy bullshit. Yeah, I've actually, I've done a little bit of research on the diminishing uh -oh. returns theory. I'll, I'll send you some stuff to okay. that. I think, awesome. I think the next cycle, we actually do better than the previous cycle. Oh, that, gotta, well, listen, yeah. I love that.